Think of legacy. Did that wake you up? Good. Now I have everyone's attention. When you, when you think of legacy, what goes through your mind? Think about this for a second. When you think of a, a legacy, what's the first thing that hits you? It's a number of things, doesn't it? I'll let that stew just for a little bit. Enough to be uncomfortable. Have you ever thought about your legacy? And what you're leaving behind? I'm sure a lot of you have. You know, when I think of legacy this week, you know what I was thinking of? Hope Church. You know, I hear over and over again, and as I read the history of this church, I see 150 years. How many churches you've been through that have 150 years of legacy behind it? You know, and I was looking, I was reading through the, the list of pastors that, that stepped up and how they founded the church, how they founded the, the plot of land, how they brought people together to do this. And, and I started to think, I, I read those names, and I'm like, what an incredible legacy that you can record this, that you know that history. But you know what I thought as I thought through those names? I said, how many more people on that list of what happened is not recorded there? The, the men and the women that serve this church to bring it about here today. What an incredible legacy that Hope Church, if you think about its influence and what the Lord has done through this grace that he's given us, the church, to dispense grace upon this world, what an amazing thing of schools and people and and businesses that were founded that this town has been blessed with because of this legacy. Isn't that an incredible thing to focus on? And you and I, we, we weren't even thought of 150 years ago. But you ever thought about those people that thought about what is Hope Church going to be? They gave their time, their energy, and their, their everything that was that they had so that we can be here today. And we don't know most of their names. What an incredible legacy that we have today, that you have today. That brings us to a few things. I'm not connected with my mic here, so I'm regretting for right here. That brings us to the passage today that we're talking about today. As we, as we contemplate this idea of, of what does it mean to pass on a legacy? What does it mean that, that we have a legacy that we're going to pass on, not only with this church, but, but we also individually are passing on a legacy to our children and our grandchildren and, and those around us at work and those around us in school? Think about the legacy that you want to leave. And that's our subject for today. What are we investing our lives into that will equip the next generation to have their legacy 
in Christ alone. Put that at the forefront of your mind. What are you investing in today that's going to leave a legacy of Christ alone? Our passage today is on 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with me this morning with you this morning, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to be all the way at the end, chapter 5, the end of the book, and we're going to be in verse 8. You have the privilege of hearing from Dirk and Elder Dirk with going through the whole book here, so I'm just going to give you the end. So <laughs> I'm going to give you the end, he's going to give you the rest of the book, okay? So, so as you're turning there, I want, to, I want to draw out where we're going this morning to give you a little context, but also prepare you for lunch, right? Just hold on, we're going somewhere. I've broken up this passage into three parts. Number one, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, the first point is this. Stand firm in the faith. And I'm, I see that and I draw that out in verses 8 through 9. If you're taking notes today, the first point is stand firm in the faith. Verses 8 through 9. The second point is this. We have hope in his plan in verses 10 through 11. And last... And verses 12 through 14, pass on Christ's legacy of hope. And my main idea of this whole passage for today is this. Our legacy of hope is Christ alone. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and if you're able to stand, would you please stand with me as I read God's word? 1 Peter chapter 5, and starting in verse 8. The Apostle Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings or suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades. Last forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we give you glory for your word. We lift your word up as, Father, our instructions for living, but also the way that we know who you are. So we pray that you would speak as your word has been spoken in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this morning, I'm, I'm usually more mobile, so you have to forgive me, I'm stuck to a podium. I like to move around a little bit, so they've, they've pinned me down here with nails. <laughs> so you're going to have to deal with that just for a little bit here. I know you're used to it, but I'm not. In verse 8, we notice something. Here's our first point. Stand firm in the faith. And, and why do I bring this as a first point? Well, we notice in our first point, he says two things that really gets our attention. What does he say? Number one, he says, look in verse 8, be sober-minded, he says. He also says, be on alert. But before that, we go into that, I want to point out, he also says before this in verse 6, he says, humble yourself, therefore, before the almighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. If you understand the context of what Peter, the Apostle Peter is doing here, he's talking to elders in this this section just before this. He's telling them to to shepherd the flock. Lead well. He, He talks about submission. He talks about stewarding God's grace. He talks about husbands and wives submitting to one another. He talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. He talks about living as a holy nation, a royal priesthood in the beginning. He talks about being born again and and living a life that's different than what you used to live. The context of the passage. And then he gets into verse 8. He's saying this. In verse 7 he says, casting all your anxieties on him. Do you have a lot to be anxious about this morning? He says, cast them all on him. Why? Because he cares for you. But then he goes this. He says this. He says in eight, he's like, is this a let go and let, let God? Is this, a, is this a Jesus take the will moment? No. Stop. Before we go crazy here, look in verse eight. Be sober and be watchful. This word for being sober here. It's, and being alert is a balance of trusting God, but also being active. We trust in him, but we are not foolish in the way that we live our lives. We, we don't just let go and let God, as I already said. He's equipped us with the right tools that we need to trust in him, number one, but also to be alert And to be sober-minded. So how is one sober-minded and alert? Well, we have to look to Scripture for this. A number of New Testament passages tells us how to do this. We see this back in 1 Peter 1.13 and 4.17. If you have time to look at that. Well, we may have time. Let me just look at that. 113 here. Notice what he says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do you become sober? You focus on Christ. You stand firm in the faith that has been given to you. And we also see this in Romans 13, 11 and and 2 Timothy 4, 5, if you're taking notes for later reading. 
And Paul lays it out clear as well in Romans 13, 11, verses 11 through 14. He says, and do these things because we know the time, we know the time that is already the hour for us to awake from sleep. For our salvation is now nearer than we became when we became believers. The night has advanced toward dawn and the day is near. So then we, tr- we must lay aside the works of darkness and put on the weapons of light. In verse 13, let us live decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, in drunkenness or in sexual immorality and sensualities. Not in discord and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what? Make no provisions for the flesh to arouse its desires. How are we to stay alert and sober? (laughs) Scripture tells us, doesn't it? I want to focus on this next part here. He focuses on your adversary, the devil. But before that, I want to go back to, he says, stay alert and stay awake. Do you realize this is the same command or the same word he gave Adam and Eve in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2? Shamar, I believe, is the word in Hebrew. And it's the same word to be watchful. to, To watch over the flock. You know what happened with Adam and Eve, right? He sat back and he said, well, you know, I'm just going to let God take care of this. And the sin of the world was formed, right? We were all damned in that moment because he was not obedient to God's command of being watchful. Why do I bring that up? Because just like God told Cain, He says the devil, right, the snake is at the door prowling or or crouching or laying down. Sin is at the door waiting for you. Do you see where Peter is pulling this from? He says this, he says, your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know the imagery of a lion? Have you ever watched National Geographic? I have. And I would not be want to be in a safari uh, walking around with a lion that knows I'm there and I don't know it's there. He gives vivid imagery because maybe some of these Christians knew from the Colosseum what a lion did to a person. If he's writing in 60 A.D., I think they would be familiar with persecution, wouldn't they? He walks around like a roaring lion looking for some to devour. So why is it important for us to be watchful? Well, you just saw it. The question is, how is the devil walking around like a lion? Well, we know that. We see it. Have you ever watched a professional tour guide lead people through the African safari? You know, they know where to go. You know, they're, they're cool as a cucumber. They're riding this thing around and, and, and people as they go by, they have confidence in this guide because he's done this before. 
He's going to hopefully lead them in the right area, and usually they get around unscathed. And these gods, they, they know the dangers are out there, but they understand their environment. You see, he's watchful. They know the lions, and they know the animals, and they know they can kill them, these tour guides. But you see, they've learned how to be alert, and they know where to go, and they know when to go, and they know what to do in an emergency. They go out equipped and ready. What a great analogy for us. The Apostle Peter is saying, learn how to be a safari guide. And he's not saying that. But learn how to be equipped to go out. Dr. Kelly, in his commentary, puts it this way. In case of the devil's object, in in any case of the devil's object, the vigorous metaphor stripped away is to destroy the Asian Christians, determining their morale or or, uh, undermining their morale for the harsh treatment they are receiving from his agents, and so driving them to deny the faith. That's what he was doing. The devil prowls around, waits for you to get comfortable, and then you get down to get a drink of water, and you're in a heap of trouble. What an imagery he points to. So there, there, are, different, there are different views of Satan's activity. And, and we hold to the understanding that Satan is bound, right? He's no longer able to deceive the nations, praise God, because the work on the cross and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father as the Apostle Creed says. But he's still active. I, I love the hymn and I have the book there. I, I'd love to read this. this morning and I said I want to read this to you it's this is my father's world I'm sure you're familiar with that hymn it said that though the the world it says that though the wrong seems off so strong God is the ruler yet this is my father's world the battle is not done Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won. The battle is not done. There's still more to do. And we still have to be alert because the devil is still prowling. So let's spend a little time on Satan's activity. I'll give you a few verses here. We know before the coming of of Jesus, Satan's power was even limited then. You remember Job? (laughs) He had to go before, uh, Satan went before God in his throne room and, and made a case against Job. He had to ask for permission. We know it was limited then. We also know in, in Luke 10 that he fell like lightning from heaven. Revelation 12 says it talks about the devil possibly thrown from heaven at Jesus' birth, trying to seek the, the male child. 
In Revelation 12, we also see Michael and his angels cast out the devil from heaven. Satan is considered the deceiver of the world in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12.10, authority of the kingdom was given at Christ's arrival. Hallelujah. Satan's time on earth, we see in Revelation 12, is limited. And he knows that. But in the meantime, Satan tries to tempt Jesus, we see. He tries to to bring about this understanding that people see him as the ruler of the world, but Jesus defeats him. We see that in John 1, 3, 8. Jesus was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. Acts 26 tells us that people are transferred from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by the faith in Jesus. We know the devil is in the world, but notice this. John, 1 John gives us hope. We know the devil is in the world, but his Holy Spirit is more powerful than him. What a confidence we have. In verse 9, it holds the key of understanding how one to be alert and sober in the, in, the, in the face or in the fact that there are threats outside the faith that are seeking to tear down the church. What does he say in verse 9? Look, he says, resist him. Resist him. And what does this word mean in BDAG? It says, to oppose him to his face. That's what the word says. It also means the word, according to Bedag, to set against in battle. And the last one by Loanida is to resist by actively opposing pressure or power. So what's the best way to resist the devil? The Apostle Peter says, word for word right here, be steadfast in your faith. Be steadfast in your faith. What does that mean? Pertaining to being firm and steadfast in one's attitude or beliefs. He's given us the truth, but the Apostle Peter connects this directly to what we know. What you know affects the way you live. It also means this, according to another resource here, literally to be firm or to be solid as applied to what grain is when grain is hardened or ripe. The question is, how does one get to that point? How do you get to that point where you're standing firm and you're, you're steadfast in your faith? I love Dr. Schreiner, our, our Reformed Baptist friend. He says this in a summary in his NAV commentary. He says, Peter was not simply saying that believers are firm in their faith. He explains that re- what resistance to the devil truly means. The call to resistance does not summon believers to do Herculean acts on God's behalf. 
Believers are not encouraged to gather all of their resources to do great work for God. No, resistance to the devil means that believers remain firm in their faith. Listen to this. That is, in their trust in God. Believers triumphed over the devil as they continued to trust God, believing that he truly cares for them and will sustain them until the end. You ever heard that before? Perseverance until the last day is accomplished from first to last by what? Faith. At the end of this verse, he concludes with an encouragement to others. He says this. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Keep up the great work. When I think of someone standing firm in their faith, there's a story of uh, an, or you say a disciple of John, the Apostle John. I, I was brought to tears yesterday as I was reading this account of Polycarp. He was 86 years old. He was burned alive. For his faith in Jesus. But listen to what he says, and you probably already know this, at his execution. He says this, the proconsul said, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you don't repent. Meaning, turn from your faith. Don't follow this Jesus. And Polycarp replied, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though to be changed from evil to righteousness, he said in the face of this ruler. Proconsul said, if you despise the animals, I will have you burned. You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment revealed for the ungodly. (laughs) Why are you waiting? Bring on what you want, he said. In the face of the Roman Empire, he did not reject the faith. Instead, because of his martyrdom, he encouraged the church to stand firm in the faith no matter what was against them. Is that encouraging for you? A man at the end of his life, his legacy was in Christ alone. Not only do we stand firm in the faith, but also we hope in his plan. We not only stand firm in the faith, but we hope in his plan. In verses 10 and 11, notice God said, or the Apostle Paul said, God called you, and in this short time of suffering, he will do what? He will restore you. He will confirm you. He will strengthen you and he will establish you. Doesn't it remind you of Romans 8 a little bit, huh? 
What does this all mean? Restore you, meaning this. He will put you in order. Number one. What does he mean by confirming you? Number two. It means to cause you to be inwardly firm, committed, established, or strengthened. He will give you the resolve you need to stand firm, but also hope in Him. And what is this in a word of understanding of strengthen you? It's to cause you to be or to become moral, or more able or more capable with the implication of contrast with weakness. What does this establishing you mean? To provide a secure basis for the inner life and its resources. God is the one that is going to sustain you. And you and I, we not only stand firm in the faith that he's given us, stand firm in his word that he's given us, but we also hope in his plan because his plan is better than our plans. The hope that he offers is better than the hope the world can offer us. In verse 11, as we have seen in chapter 3, verses 22, you'll see there, Jesus is seated on his throne. (laughs) He's seated on his throne. So what's the point? What's the point of all this? Hear this. He is in control. Humble yourself under His mighty hand. Humility shows what for us? Humility shows that we trust in His plan. I always tell people, don't confuse meekness with weakness. I love the song that wraps this up. In my mind, I was trying to share this with Jason and and Dirk the other day, but this song wraps up this verse uh, 11 here in such a nice package, the second point of trusting in God's plan. Notice what it says. It's, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek Him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of Thee. Whoa. Thou dost reach forth Thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I on Thee took hold as Thou, dear Lord, on me. I found, or I find, I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long before with my soul, always thou lovest me. (laughs) That doesn't bring you to the throne room of God to worship him and his plan. I don't know what will. 
And this brings us to our final point here. Pass on a legacy of hope. Not only stand firm in him, not only uh, trust in his plan for your life and what he's done, but also pass on a legacy of hope in verses 12 through 14. He does this at the end of the book. What does he do? He mentions faithful men in the word. We, we know Silvanus, he's mentioned possibly, who is this guy? Maybe in 1 Timothy, or, or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Corinthians 1. We don't have time to read that, but there's some possible connections here. So, some, believer, some believe he's possibly Silas in the book of Acts. We see in Acts 15, chapter 15. 22, 27, 32, 40, chapter 16, and so on. What what, what do I mean by that? Why am I bringing that up? He was faithful to build up the local church. He's investing in in men and a man and in men that are faithful, that are available, that are teachable. That, that are standing firm in God's truth, but not only this, that are hoping in God's plan in the face of persecution, but not only this, they're passing on a legacy. They're actively working and watching. They're not sitting back and saying, hey, what can you do for me? They're saying, hey, how can I serve the Lord with the breath that I have now? The Apostle Peter He lifts up others in this last section we see. He's lifting up others and he he encourages the body and he points them to the truth and he exhorts the church to hold fast or to hold their ground, meaning stand firm, which is the cry of 1 Peter. Stand firm in the faith. And he mentions other things about his letter to Rome. And he says at the end, greet one another and peace to all of you in Christ. And I love Spurgeon's thoughts on this. We don't have time to go through the the whole understanding of Babylon, which, you know, he's writing under persecution in this time, you know. And and Babylon is always known as a place of sin and corruption. And he's writing it almost in the face and showing, hey, Rome is, is Babylon, right? They're a perverse place. But I love at the end here in verse 14, I love Spurgeon's thoughts on this. Another faithful Baptist, I'm bringing out all the Baptists today. There you go. Spurgeon's thought on his commentary, he says this, This blessing is given to all Christians, or all in Christ Jesus, but to none else. There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. And Isaiah 48 says, he he quotes here, he says, Restlessness here and woe forever are the portion of those who are out of Christ. O Lord, let none of his household remain without faith in Jesus. What a cry for us today. Not only for us to stand firm in the truth. Not only for us to, to look to him and his plan for our life. And not only us for, for look to pass on a legacy and saying what should we be doing. We should be passing on a legacy of faith in Christ. 
We, are, we should be training our families. We should be building up the church. We should be spending our life uh, to pass on something that someone can have hope in and someone that can have hope not only in this world, but in the world to come. How are we doing that this morning? I don't know if you've ever heard of the Cologne or the Clone. I don't know how you say it in German, but there's a city called Cologne. As we say in English, it's a cathedral that started its building in 1248. Have you ever heard of that? I think it's 900 years old or something. Or it's, well, it's more than that, but um, it, it started with someone laying a foundation in the 1200s. And it was finished in, what, 1880. Do the math there. So you have a medieval Gothic church. It was one of the tallest structures in the world. It's one of the marvels of the Middle Ages that was constructed. constructed. But here's the point that I want to make with this. The people that started this, they desired to leave a lasting legacy. They desired to leave a lasting testament to future generations of what? Of their commitment to the glory of God. By building this cathedral, they were serving future generations that would never know their names. The cathedral was their full acknowledgement of the fact that this world is the Lord Jesus's. And they were willing to sacrifice and to give their money and to give their time and to give their energy and to give their lives for something that reached beyond themselves. What a legacy they left behind. This morning, what legacy are you leaving behind? Are you standing firm in the truth that God has given you? Are you holding fast to to what he gave you as a deposit? Are Are you trusting in the plan that he has for your life? Are you, are you gaining strength from him? Are you passing on a legacy of hope to your grandchildren, to your children, to your family, for this church, for hope of Opelousas? Stand firm in the faith. We have hope in his plan. Pass on a legacy of hope. And we do these things because our legacy of hope is in Christ alone this week. Know your legacy is in Christ alone. Stand firm in the faith. Hope in his plan. And pass on a legacy that you've been given.
with your time, your talent, and your treasures. Will you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.